Welcome back to the flip side, Galen Clavio, along with Brian Moritz, a special Passover edition of the flip side podcast. Are you uh, stocked up on matzo? No, no, (laughs) I'm not, not either. Actually, no, I take that back. We are stocked up on matzo. One of, one of my students, I had the students over on Sunday night to watch breaking away the, the great uh, film that features the city of Bloomington and the little 500. And one of them brought my wife, uh, a bag of New York bagels, oh. uh, a, a can of, of Manischewitz matzo meal, and some egg white noodles. Oh, that's sweet. And uh, she, despite not being Jewish, is incredibly <laughs> juiced about all of those gifts. See, I was going to ask, I didn't know how to awkwardly ask or not ask because I don't, you know, I figured that's something I should know by now after, what, 188 podcasts? But, okay, so you just, so did your did your student think your wife was Jewish or was she just bringing them over for fun? Like, why did he bring those things over, dear? Because he, did, he didn't think. Oh, because she asked. Uh, we had met this particular student, Greg Gottfried is his name, uh, before at, out, out, like we'd taken the dog out to, for like a, a patio beer or something like that. And uh, he had mentioned he was going home for uh, something and his mom made like a great matzo ball soup. And so she was going to hand write out the recipe for matzo ball soup. And Ooh. so not only did he bring back from New York the handwritten matzo ball soup recipe, but he bought, brought the ingredients for the matzo ball soup. And so um, he immediately became my wife's all-time favorite student of mine. Absolutely. I mean, that, that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer for that. That's outstanding. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's and, that's going above and beyond, I think, is like without question. Oh, and the New York bagel, too? That's just icing on the cake right there. You get a, a, you get a true New York bagel. That's, that's a, as good a as it whole, gets. A whole bag of the New York bagels. And, and my wife's response was basically, those are awesome, but they're way too rich. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to eat the whole bag. And I don't eat bagels. Like, that's... That's one trend I've never gotten my head wrapped around is is the bagel, frankly. Well, well and, and and that makes sense, you know, being in Bloomington, you know, being in Midwest. I mean, it, it it's it sounds cliché and it sounds like East Coast snob media elitist, but you get bagels outside of the Northeast and especially outside of like the, the coastal part of the Northeast. Like you get outside of New York City and even maybe Philly or Boston and you're just not getting the good the, the same quality bagels. So you get a an Indiana bagel, which I'm sure is fine by Indiana standards, but I can totally see why you would never get the bagel as being a thing. Whereas if you're on the East Coast, it's much more ingrained. And that was one of the best things when I lived in Binghamton. Binghamton's about mm, two and a half hours from New York. And so a lot of transplants, it's a lot more New York City influence. And so we were able to, there were a couple stores and a couple delis that had real quality, like almost New York quality bagels in there, which was just delightful. So, are you saying I need to try this bagel? Um. Okay. Yes. For one thing, yes. You never say no to a New York bagel. I am not. I am not going to go so far as to say that it will like turn you into a bagel person. But at least then you can have have had a ha, had a true New All York right. bagel. Hold on. Look, are, we're just we're just going to do this right now. All right. Uh, so I have this bag of bagel. I don't know what any of these are. There's like a sesame seed bagel. I, I, that that's my that's my go to. The sesame bagel is my. There's go-to. a poppy seed bagel. There's what? one that looks like a like a cheddar cheese goldfish. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know what this one is, and then there's one that looks like it might have raisins or something in it. Okay. I, I I'm going to recommend either the poppy seed or the sesame seed. Those are kind of the two. All right. I think you're going to go. I, I think I'm just right. going to have a I'm just going to have a piece. Uh, is this okay, dear? If I take your bagels. Okay. Okay. 
So I'm gonna try a piece this while is, we're on the air. The, 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 this is big. This is this is the son of the heartland, the son of Indiana, Galen Clavio, having his first authentic New York City bagel, right. uh, sitting oh, in his house is, in Bloomington, and it's been transported. So quality cannot be assured. But this is big. This is good. So this is a sesame seed bagel that I'm going to have. We're going to okay. see how this is. Okay, let's see. Okay. Uh, While you're eating it, I'm just going to say that we're trusting that the that the student actually bought them in a New York City place and didn't stop at like a Dunkin' Donuts in Erie on the way back. This is pretty good. Yeah, all right. Uh, I mean, it's definitely springier mm-hmm. than the bagels. They're actually, it's funny. One of the local like Bloomington establishments that gets pretty good play. They do a pretty good job on social media. It's called Bloomington Bagel Company. Okay. You know, and because of our large New York transplant population, we do have a lot of bagel uh, eaters here, certainly. But uh, but those are generally not great because they're they're very dense and they're not very moist. And this is this is a lot airier of yeah. a bagel than I'm used to having. So yeah, yes. I, I can I can see what the hype is all about. Yeah, the this is pretty good. Yeah, the New York bagel you have the the, the crusty exterior, the hard the, the kind of very crunchy, very crispy, hard uh, exterior. But the inside is a lot less doughy and a lot less cakey than the bagels yeah. you I think you're used to having. What are your views on on in general uh, bagel sandwiches? The only one I've ever liked, and this is awful. This is really <laughs> terrible. What the is steak, that? What I was gonna say is it a Fazoli's one? Why can't we no, possibly? It's, it's worse. It's the steak and egg bagel from McDonald's, the breakfast bagel sandwich really? that they have. Really? I actually I don't mind that one. That one actually it's like a nice and it's partially because I love the seasoning they put on the steak. Mm-hmm. It's this it's this weird like spice jam of some sort. Like I don't even want to know. I mean, it, it's probably like ground up tires or something like that but <laughs> but it's it's actually it's, it was it, for years it was my go-to you know i need to grab something to eat uh if i'm in the airport or if i'm hitting the road and i need a sandwich like that was always i, I ended up liking that one a lot better than than say like the sausage and egg biscuit because i always thought that mcdonald's biscuits were kind of lifeless then chick-fil-a started making biscuits and that changed the entire game well but, yeah, that, for, right then that's game over but i generally avoid bagel sandwiches for the same reason that I you know was hesitant or was nonplussed maybe would be the better term about the bagels that my student brought my wife because I thought well it's a bagel you know it's like it's this thick unrelenting piece of bread uh, mm-hmm. but this is quite good I would I would eat a sandwich on this yeah that I mean most bagel sandwiches I feel like they suffer from the the too muchness of it because the bagel in itself is almost a meal and then if you're throwing any kind of sandwich in it. It, it, it it seems like a good idea at the start at the time but then it just kind of falters in a weird way there, there, it, i feel like it's a too much i do feel like the english muffin is a very underrated sandwich delivery system oh i totally agree in fact i would i generally try to avoid bread he says as he eats this bagel <laughs> I'm all, i only have a small piece i never i'm trying to finish it up here while, while i talk but uh i try to avoid bread but for a while, my favorite breakfast was, you know, an, a fried egg on an English muffin with like a little bit of mayo on it or something like that. Um, something which is a little bit of a tang to it. Uh, I think English muffins, when they're toasted yes. properly, like when they're crispy, mm-hmm. are excellent. I, I do think that a uh, a poorly toasted or under toasted English muffin is actually pretty hideous. Right. Because then, like English muffins, there's like a innate moistness to them mm-hmm. that – 
I think makes them somewhat unpalatable. And you have to basically you have to wick all that moisture out of there, and you 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 end up with something that when crispy is actually maybe it might be the best crispy thing that you could have for breakfast that's not bacon. No question. And then you combine like a bacon, egg, and cheese on an English muffin, and you've got something really, really, really good. But yeah, I, you know, I found because we we were an English muffin household, and I found that you really have to run them through the toaster at least twice, possibly two and a half times, to get the get the proper level of crisp that you need to make it a really to make it quality. But that was a, that's the Dunkin' Don- one of the many Dunkin' Donuts problems that they've had if they've, as they've expanded over the last few years. One, they changed their egg, and their egg is now hideous. But two, I used to get the, uh, the the sandwiches on an English muffin, and they stopped toasting it. So it was o- almost like a barely toasted or even untoasted English muffin with an egg and cheese and maybe ham on it, and that's just vile. Because the, the 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 you're right, it's moist. It gets too cakey. It starts to fall apart. The the, the there's too much flip bread. It, it it throws the whole sandwich equilibrium sandwich equilibrium off. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. It's have we done not to get off track too much from where we're at, but since we're talking <laughs> breakfast, have we had the big breakfast bread debate? Did we do that last season? I I don't think so, and I I, I think we need to because I think th- this is this is important stuff. Like so, I've I there's a there's a holy trinity of breakfast bread meals basically um, that. That you could choose from, and, and I feel like where you fall on this continuum really indicates a lot about who you are as a person. Okay. So it's it's a question of French toast versus pancakes versus waffles. Okay. And and which like how you rank order those. Okay. So uh, I know what my rank order is, but I want to hear yours first. Okay, so so we're going pancakes, we're going waffles, and we're going French toast, and and we are ranking these solely on their own. So not paired, you know, maybe paired with like butter and syrup or anything. Are we? Are we? Are well, we... I think I think you have to take that into account. Okay, sure. I think you have to take the potential of what you can do with them into account. I, I, but but I, but I think at the core, you have to be able to rank the products and and what you feel about them. Okay. Hmm. All right. So. I mean, if you need to think about this, I'm happy to give mine first. I, I, give me, just give me another second to finish up my, because I don't want my, I don't want my my rankings on this to be reflect you, you or be tanked on you or anything like that. Kind of want to stand on my own on it, um, because I think I'm gonna go. See, now I feel like there's also a lot of pressure because apparently this is my entire worldview and will determine the my daughter's well, success in life. But I'm okay I, well, with that. Well, it kind of somewhat because I will say this has created some contentious debates on social media when it's been posted uh, with, with people being very, very much encamped in their particular corners. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to say right off the bat that the correct answer for all of these is bacon and eggs. So let's let, let let let's establish that that all of these are poor sub- breakfast substitutes for bacon and eggs. Well, but I, I think bacon and eggs are a side dish. Well, that, that you, you I, I salute your bre- your 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 dedication <laughs> to breakfast on this one. I mean, I, I'll say this: I eat I eat eggs probably every every other morning for breakfast, maybe slightly more than that. And uh, I don't eat bacon quite that often, but I eat a decent amount of bacon. And I would say, if you go to if you're at home. I think eggs or eggs and bacon can be a primary meal. Okay. I think if you're ordering breakfast, generally you're going to feel inadequate if all you get is eggs and bacon 
and nothing else, unless you get an omelet. But generally speaking, an omelet has other things in it too. True. Although, if you go eggs, bacon, toast, home fries, then that's a perfect. That's that's almost an ideal balance of carbs, protein, healthy fats, and butter to start your day. Um, so I'm not a fan of home fries. I, okay, well, I'll forgive you, but okay. So, and I also, and I'm also not a fan of toast that you get at restaurants. I see, think that most most toast that you get at restaurants is is garbage. Frankly, it's like a filler more than an actual like flavorful thing. Uh, see, I it's think in, entirely dependent upon the butter or the jam that you get with the toast. But the toast itself, like I feel like I should be playing ultimate frisbee with it as opposed to eating it. You, I, you, diners in Indiana, I don't know what they're doing with the toast. This is everywhere. No. I've, had, I've, I've had I've had that combo at a diner in Oregon and it was the same thing. And I, there's, there's so many, the three breakfast breads that I named, I can't think of a single instance where I would rather have toast over French toast, waffles, or pancakes. Well, you're not going to have just toast. I mean, we're not hitting. Well, no, I'm here. saying, okay. I'm saying as as a part of a breakfast overall. Okay. okay. So I see, and and I do think that the quality of a breakfast can often rise and fall on the quality of a toast. And a good rye toast is really, I mean, then you're living. Okay. So uh, so let's get back to it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go in order. A top three. One, two, three. I'm gonna go. Pancakes, waffles, French toast. Okay. Um, okay. Let's now see. I'm gonna kind of work. I'm I'm kind of working. See, the, see, this is where it gets challenging. I do think pancakes are the clear cut number one here. I mean, to me, that's a no brainer. They're that you because they are very good on the side. Like if you go with a, like a grand slam size breakfast where you get your bacon and eggs side dish along with two or three pancakes, it's good. They stand on their own. They take butter and syrup really well. You can mix in blueberries. You throw in some chocolate chips for the kid. Pancakes are good all good kind of all around. Uh, really versatile pick here. Um, and waffles and, and French toast to me. I'm not the world's biggest French toast fan. I have nothing against it. I don't think it's disgusting or anything. I just I don't tend to I don't tend to order it. It tends to be a little too filling for me. I guess I think I tend to like you know my breakfast a little leaner. Says the guys who likes says the guy who likes bacon egg and home, bacon eggs and home fries. Um, but I it, it's just a little a little too cakey for me. A little too much for me. And waffles. I've grown to appreciate the waffle as of late, and I've, I've grown to appreciate um, the speed of a frozen waffle, of a not necessarily an Eggo, although that can do, but you get a good Kashi whole grain bagel, whole grain uh, blueberry bagel, throw it in the toaster in the morning, get it nice and crispy, throw some peanut butter on it if you're feeling adventurous and have a little time, microwave a couple sausage links, create a... Uh, waffle peanut butter sausage sandwich it will keep you going for a couple of hours and it's a good breakfast so i'm going definitely pancakes at one and then waffles and 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 waffles to very little very slightly over french toast and awful and also leslie nope's love of waffles and parks of rec boost that to the number two spot in mine i feel like i've disappointed you and i'm not going to be returning for season five now it's possible <laughs> all right what's uh, yours I think I think it goes French toast, then waffles, then pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the exact opposite. Yes. And I'm going to start with the bottom and work my way up. Okay. I think I think pancakes are the most overrated breakfast food that there is. Uh, I think that first of all, there's way too much variability in the batter. I think that bad batter has ruined more pancakes then has created good pancakes over the course of human history. 
um, I think that, you know, there's a great Mitch Hedberg joke, uh, and I forget what the lead in is, but you know, it's, it's, it's something about, um, I, I don't even remember what the lead in is, but, but the punchline is you don't want to be like pancakes all excited at first and then sick of them by the time you're halfway through. <laughs> That's a good uh, and point. I feel yeah. I feel that way every time you order pancakes. You get a big stack of pancakes. You're all excited about the pancakes. And you get about halfway through the pancakes, and what has happened is the syrup and the butter and the, and the cutting of the pancake has basically created just a large bread pudding okay. in the midst of your plate. But isn't that, but isn't that basically what French toast already is? No, not, no I don't think so. Okay. Um, because I think – um, and I'll get to French toast in a second. Let's 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 not let's not have your, the commentary on French toast affect the negativity that pancakes should have directed towards them. Um, I think that most pancakes are not cooked particularly well. They're either overcooked or they're slightly undercooked. And either way, um, they there's very rarely do you get the really fluffy consistency that you should be getting out of pancakes. And I think even at their apex, they're missing something that both French toast and waffles have, which is actually the same complaint I have about cookie cakes, which is that the surface area is too big for the pancake to ever really achieve its true potential. It's kind of like what we were just talking about with English muffins in that English muffins get really good when they get crunchy and when there's some kind of flavor profile that lives outside. You, you have to import all the flavor profile into the pancakes, and I think that's a real problem. That's what drops pancakes down to the third position for me. Okay. Waffles, I've actually gone back and forth. I used to be steadfast in my belief that French toast was number one and waffles are number two. The more I think about waffles, the more I think maybe they deserve to be number one because you know, waffles have so much surface area that is impacted by the cooking vessel, mm-hmm. uh, and and it creates these delightful contrasts of soft interior dough and crispy exterior dough. There's a there's a wonderful alchemy that goes on with the syrup uh, and the the butter and whatever else is being cooked with the waffle, uh, or is is put on the waffle after it's cooked. Uh, that it 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 really does create to me. A very, a very enjoyable palate experience. Something else about pancakes that I really resent is that people find it a necessity in many cases to put stuff in the pancakes. They put blueberries in the pancake. They put chocolate chips in the pancake. They put, you know, all this stuff in the pan. It's like, well, if the pancake was that good to begin with, we wouldn't feel the need to put stuff in. You don't really hear people about put it, putting stuff in waffles. You know, I mean, waffles, it's just like, here's some waffle batter. It's really good. Let me cook it in this griddle, and then I'll pop it out, and then I'll put some butter on it. And, you know, that in many cases is enough. I mean, there, there is no cottage industry for chicken and pancakes, but That's there certainly true. is one for chicken and waffles, because I, waffles are a great standalone food. I, 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 I'm granting I'm you this on waffles, and I think I may have underrated waffles a bit. For their, I, I, Again, I think their versatility is big. The chicken and waffle, I did, wasn't even thinking about that, but a fantastic either brunch option or dinner option. And the, uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the versatility on it, a standalone waffle is wonderful. You get the Belgian waffle. It, that, that, that's a tapestry on which you can weave a work of art, either with fruit, with ice cream, with, with really almost anything. I mean, nobody made a pancake cone for ice cream. That you know of. But they did make a waffle cone. Okay. 
I mean, I'm saying. Okay. This is, so where's the, your French toast? Where's your French toast cone to? Uh, um, make? See, the French, but French toast is so good it doesn't need to be ported out to ice cream. Uh, see, here's the thing with French toast: it takes two breakfast staples and completely and and somewhat somewhat unnecessarily slams them together into one. You you have eggs and you have bread. You would normally make the bread into toast and you would have this boring thing that you seem to love for whatever reason. And then you would have the eggs on the side. And French toast takes those two things, puts them together, cooks them in a beautiful way on a skillet, allows it allows the egg to cook in the bread. So the bread ends up being kind of a uh, – it's bread plus. In fact, in many ways, it's bread plus plus. And – you know, what I've found is like you think about the things that we've been talking about, syrup and butter and the way that they interact with what they're on. I, I love the taste of syrup and butter on waffles, but at the end of the day, they live separately from each other. Um, the, they're, they're, they're an accessory to the waffle. I don't like pancake syrup and butter because they end up overdoing it, getting into the pancake. The pancake takes on the characteristics of the syrup and takes on the characteristics of the butter, and that ends up being the primary thing what you hear. Somehow with French toast, when you add the butter and you add the syrup and you you cut into it, it doesn't quite seep in, but it also doesn't live completely apart. It's like that perfect medium. And you know, you know, particularly when the butter is able to melt on the French toast, or and then you put the syrup on the French toast on top of that, um, it, it it just creates a flavor I think that's unparalleled within the breakfast universe. You also take into account that in most places, not only do you have that wonderful alchemic mixture of egg and bread that's in the middle, but you also have the crusts, which haven't been penetrated that much, and create the contrast that you don't get anywhere else in the breakfast world. Um, so, you know, to me, the, the you know French toast just kind of achieves a higher plane of existence than what you get with waffles or what you get with French toast. Uh, Excuse me, with pancakes. Sorry, I, with pancakes. For one thing, I did. I sent you something in the Skype message that you can take a look at. That there are, in fact, pancake cones. Um, and, they, <laughs> and I have to tell you, they look awful. I can't yeah. even, even, even as someone who who apparently likes, who apparently is, you know, defending the honor of pancakes. Look, I, I, I appreciate your passion towards French toast. I'm just saying, you know, you, you go to a diner, you order bacon and eggs like a gentleman, and you go on with your day. To me, the my issue with French toast is always. You know, it's delicious, but I'm not going to deny that. But I, it's too much. Like, I, I, I'm more of a, you know, except when I have an omelet. But I'm more of a lean breakfast person and, and not, and I feel like the French toast is just an overdose of carb and, and, and cake. And it's too much for me in the morning. That's why I'm not a big fan of any of the, any of the breakfast, many of the breakfast cakes. The waffle, nonetheless, I may, you know what? I think I may revise my, my rankings and go waffle, pancake, French toast. Um, but, um, but yeah, I'm just I'm not a a a, a batter based breakfast person. Um, you just uh, well, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I mean it's sad, but it's fine. <laughs> uh, we've got a lot of other food stuff to get to today. This was an yeah, excellent do. 25 minute digression to start the podcast. Um, I don't know why we don't regularly talk about breakfast food. That could be the that could be the the, the overall theme of our next Have season. You- have you seen this website called Extra Crispy? No, but now now I am. Uh, it's it's a wonderful website. It's literally all about breakfast okay. and breakfast foods. And I posted 
I posted something on my wife's Facebook page the what other day. What is this, man? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm shocked you haven't seen this oh yet, man. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, this is wonderful. This is like porn for breakfast. I love uh, this. So there was a there was a, a an Look article. It. it was an article four days ago that I posted on my wife's uh, Facebook page, and it was about the concept of cake mix, pancake, and waffles. Okay. So instead of using you know the box of Aunt Jemima that you've got in the in the the pantry, you use the box of Duncan Hines cake mix. Oh, that's you make good. that. And you toss it, you like you cook it on the griddle, or you put it in the waffle. We haven't done this yet because I've been avoiding bread, but I think we're going to do this sometime quite soon. Look at this! Taco Bell has a new breakfast taco. That's a fr- the shell is a fried egg. Yes, <gasps> what? Yes. The, the naked breakfast taco. Yes. It's a fried egg. Yes, that's a. Ama- oh my gosh! I oh to any of my students listening, I apologize for all the grading I'm not going to get done. There's a Cadbury <laughs> cream egg omelet. What? Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I, I feel bad that I haven't already introduced you to this oh, website. You know what? It's okay. Wait. Fruity Pebbles and Mountain Dew. Is it gross? See, I'm willing to try. I, I would try that live on air for us. Um, no, I'm just, you know, I, I will I will take being late to this party and accept the fact that I'm showing up at all. This is just glorious. Sometimes um, that's, that's how it works. So um, so what is your uh, your beverage of choice for tonight's episode? I actually am just having water tonight because I'm I I had too much beer over the weekend. Um, but uh, you know, let me get your drink first. I'm going to talk about something else other than beer. Okay. Well, I'm right now. I have a Jenny Cream Ale, which I've had on the podcast before, Rochester's own. Um, and I got I realized as I as I started drinking this one that I have to move them in from the garage. I've had uh-huh. them out in the uh, the thirty pack sitting out in the garage, which for uh, winter and early spring up here in in western new york is lovely because it's about good consistent 38 45 in the garage keeps it nice and cool today we've hit our first 70 degree day so the beer's got to come inside um but also today i can recommend i had a uh a nirvana ipa from omegang brewery uh omegang very well known for its belgians and yes. uh, they went into the started making a the nirvana ipa i want to say two years ago and it's wonderful really good full flavored ipa so I will put both of those in notes for this episode. So what do you have? What do you? What can you recommend? Um, there was a. I need to find the beer. Uh, I don't know where my receipt is, but I was at Finch's here in town, which is a, a delightful uh, brasserie. Okay. And and they had a a really really nice mocha porter, but I cannot for the life of me remember who made that mocha porter. Uh, so I'm gonna have to do some research and get back to the people on that. Unfortunately, That's but. Okay. Instead of instead of our normal beer or wine or whatever, I'm actually going to talk about a video game. Okay. Uh, because I I wanted to pay homage to it uh, because it's kind of an addiction now. Uh, I I really I've become quite enamored with video games that aren't. I, I I'll say I hate to be the get off my lawn guy, but with video games, like I feel like a lot of them now are so story driven that they're they're just kind of easy. Okay. You know, there's not a lot of challenge. It's like you're playing this video game to complete the story, which is fine. It's like a book. You know, you're not reading the book, expe- you know, expecting to die eight times while you read it or anything like that. But it's not why I got into playing video games or why you got into playing. We, we played video games generally to avoid death uh, sure. in the vi- in the video game, right? You know, I mean, you're playing and, Zelda, and, and there's a very 
And existentially, but sure, within the game too. Well, yes. Okay. So I've been playing this game. It's it's available on on I, it's on PC. It's called RimWorld, and the concept behind RimWorld is that you have crash landed on an alien planet, generally with a couple of other people, and um, you have to build shelter and survive. Uh, you know, and you have to go like plant your own crops. You have to you know protect yourself from the elements. You have to like tame animals or hunt animals or whatever. And eventually you do research, you build up technology and you figure out a way to get back off the planet again. Uh, But along the way, other people that are on the planet come to visit your colony and they either trade with you or they raid your colony and try to kill you. So I was playing yesterday and I had a pretty good colony going. I had four people in the colony and they were each had their own specialty. And I had one prisoner. It was a guy that had come in and tried to attack our colony and we beat him senseless and then put him in a cell. And and we had been trying for a month or so to try to get him to join our colony, but he was kind of being stubborn at one point. We let him go, but there was a heat wave going on, and he actually passed out from heat stroke, and we had to go grab him and drag him back to the colony and put him in an air-conditioned room until he convalesced more. Um, So we're going along. We're doing well. I get an alert that there's another raiding party coming, and it's just one person. So I send my two party members out to go intercept this guy and and, beat him senseless and maybe put him in a cell and, and try to get him to join. Instead... Um, he's packing a submachine gun and he, he shoots up both of the party members that go out uh, after him. And then I have to send a third party member out, uh, who engages in close combat is able to knock the guy unconscious. We steal a submachine gun. We bring him back to the, 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 um, the, the colony. I have to drag my two colony members back in They're incapacitated right now they can't move because they're full of bullet holes i've got one colony member left who's like worth doing anything at this point and right now i saved the game there's a rabid rat outside of the colony that he's having to fend off with a, a, a knife and i like that game's probably dead like i'm gonna go back try to play a little bit more of it tonight but the, all those people are probably gonna die and i love i love that game so much because it's really hard and okay. i just i kind of want to tip my cap to the makers of games that are really hard because there's very few of them out there. And most of them look like they look graphically like games from the late eighties or early nineties, because there's not like, you know, all this money being spent on making them look pretty, but what you get out of them to me, at least is a much more fulfilling experience because when you do succeed or when you get your colony up to like six or eight people, you feel like you actually accomplished something. Cool. Yeah. I am. I am way not into video games at all. Um, and that's just kind of like my brain. I am a terrible video game player. Like I'm bad at Mario. Um, I'm not, I'm not great at Mario myself, so don't feel too bad. I, oh, I, I, and I don't, and my, my wife and daughter are both fantastic at Mario. Um, but I, I, I do, you know, I do appreciate, you know, game culture and gaming culture. And it does sound like a really interesting, neat game. It kind of sounds like it's got an aspect of the Sims to it because you're building something, but you're also... Uh, well, it, it sounds it, it just sounds like a really cool concept. And it's all it's all randomly generated. The characters are randomly generated and it's great because like so you crash like there's three different scenarios you can play. And the one I always play, you crash land with three people and you've got like X amount of supplies, but the char- the characters are for being randomly generated, they end up having some fascinating personalities. Like I've in this current game, one guy like is he's he's a, he's great at at crafting things and he's great at 
uh, building things and he's great at doing research and he's like intellectual, but he really doesn't like the female members of the party. And like that creates tension because it makes, it puts him in a bad mood all the time. (laughs) Uh, There's, there's one of the female members of the party just uh, is incapable of doing anything involving building and won't haul and won't haul things anywhere. Won't won't, like pick up materials and move them from point A to point B, uh, but is very psychically sensitive. And there's a third one that just wants to sit around and, and smokes uh, what's called smoke leap, which is basically marijuana. Just wants to basically get high all the time. And uh, I've played games where there'll be a character that just loves to set things on fire. Like <laughs> we'll set the, like set the whole colony on fire one time. And, and the game basically ended because they just, they just burned the thing to the ground. Um, I love that random, like I can't control what's going on. You know, like it's, it's uh, it, there's a certain intellectual exercise there that I feel like you don't get with a lot of video gaming because it's become so narrative based. It kind of sounds like sports journalism, actually. Now that I think about it, hmm. uh, and I'm kidding, but uh, you know, but it's like it's 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 it creates a lot of uncertainty, and I really love that uncertainty. And I think there's other games like that. FTL is a good one. That's that's it's like you if you survive that game, you really feel like you accomplished something. Banished. Yeah, it's another game where basically you're a group of nomads that's been kicked out of your village and you have to go start a new village in the middle of nowhere with no supplies. Uh, It's cool. Like there's this whole little subculture of games like that that have popped up over the last five or so years that I think is pretty neat. Cool. What was the name of your game again if anybody wants to check it out? RimWorld. R-I-M-W-O-R-L-D. It's available on Steam. Okay. Uh, for the P- for the PC gamers out there, I, I would hope that they know what that means. Yes. Um, so we have a uh, so a- a- as we've hinted so far, this is our final episode of season four. Uh, we'll be back in a few weeks for the our cousin Oliver uh, season season five. Um, so we have uh, we have some really good topics, I think, from uh, from the from uh, listeners, from Facebookers, from Twitter. I do have a have a makeup topic I have to do really quick, as always. Um, the, the, the kind of flip side guarantee, I guess you could call it, give us the topic. We'll spend at least one minute on it. Yes. Um, my student, Brian Krosky, uh, gave me a topic, gave us a topic a couple weeks ago and it got, and it got accidentally lost in the shuffle of collecting topics. So we didn't get to talk about it. So apologies, Brian. Uh, but he wanted us to talk about division three hockey. Um, and I figure I'll probably take most of the time on this one. Um, but, uh, Norwich won the D3 hockey title this year. They were the top seed going into the D3 tournament and they ended up winning the title, uh, at the frozen four D3 frozen four in Utica, my school where I teach Oswego made the tournament lost in the, in the early going in the tournament did not make the frozen four. Um, but D3 hockey is a really, actually a really interesting level of college sports, because that's there's D one there's no division two in hockey, so there's D one hockey and then D three is right below it, and there aren't a ton of D one hockey schools. I don't know how many there are. I could Google it, but I'm too lazy. But there aren't. It's not like basketball where there's like 380 million. Like every school plays basketball. That's not the case with hockey. And so, um, so D three hockey's a pretty pretty good level it's not like the equivalent of d3 basketball or d3 football or or a lot of d other division three sports where it's really low 
on the pecking order. Not to, no disrespect to any of the athletes at a D3 school, but way down on the general skill pecking order. It's actually, it's, it's a pretty, pretty competitive, pretty high level of hockey. And it's one thing I've kind of picked up on and appreciated in my time at Oswego. Um, but Norwich winning the title, like I said, they were the top, top team all year. So that was not really a surprise coming out of that. And I want to hear your, uh, I'm going to see, do you have anything to add? We have a D three team here at IU. You do? Yeah, we're I, in the, the we're in the ACHA. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I, I used to broadcast those games when I was in college. Nice. Uh, I mean, they play in a terrible, terrible rink. It's not even on campus. It's in the back parking lot of the of Bloomington South High School. <laughs> um, but I actually own an IU D three hockey jersey. It's one of my favorite apparel possessions it's a beautiful candy striped jersey very nice uh but no, I've, I've had a, a long-standing uh you know positive relationship with d3 hockey here you know it's something where we've always wanted a d1 club but for whatever reason it's never you know going to happen because well for a lot of reasons it's not going to happen mm-hmm. but uh you know it'd be great if we had a you know a, a better rink it'd be it'd be great but i mean you know every game They'll get like 150, 200 people uh, standing around that rink, pounding on the glass. It's a lot of fun. I've always enjoyed it, you know. And and they have a nice little rivalry with Kentucky, who's also got a D three team. Um, I, you know, I don't. It, it's hard to find like past historical information on what they've done um, from a from a tournament perspective. But it's it's always been enjoyable. I, I've really I've really found it to be a, a fascinating sport, particularly as someone who has broadcast hockey historically, uh, you know, it's, it's got, it's got a lot of spunk to it. It is. I apologize for not knowing of your, uh, D three hockeyness. That's it happens. So, um, so there you go. So that's our, our makeup, Brian, thank you for your patience on this. So, uh, looking else at the topics today, this is not a topic, but I think this is one of the funniest things that have has ever been tweeted at me, especially for this podcast. This is Peg's commentator, Peg's commentator. Pe- Pe- yeah, yeah. Peg's commentator. Um, I'm guessing that's an IU joke that I don't get. Um, he wanted us to keep an over under on how many times at Dr. GC says it's interesting because, which is pretty well, good. <laughs> I, 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 I guess I, I guess that I, I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, I, that occasionally that's what I say. I um, I, 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 I think we we may need to uh, maybe the listeners can do this. Come up come up with a flip side drinking game. I think that could be a uh, that that could be something entertaining. Um, yeah, um, I'm try- I was trying to think of any like verbal quirks that I have, and I can't think of any. But I'm sure everybody here has like a lit, well, not a list, because that would in- insinuate a level of caring and and, and uh, pouring over the podcast that I don't think people do. Um, I do want to. I do want to go back to your D three hockey thing. So we have yeah. a, a hockey team here that identifies themselves as a D three hockey team. Okay. But now I'm looking at the Division three. Uh, ice hockey thing and it doesn't list them or any of the teams they normally play okay i'm i'm confused now all right i don't i don't know what to make of all of that but um because yeah i'm looking at i'm looking at the d3 brackets and rankings and it's all like teams from your neck of the woods right it's a very northeastern north northeastern thing uh let's see american i'm gonna go to wikipedia which is never wrong um, ACHA is a chartered nonprofit corporation, the national governing body of club or non-varsity college hockey in the U.S. So mm. it may. So let's see, membership divisions. Da, 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 division three. 
you are ACHA Men's Division Three, so you have Division Three, but it is not NCAA Division Three. There we go. That would explain. Ah, there you go. So yes. All right. So all right, we have a couple good food questions here. Uh, first of all, we'll get to yours in a second because yours is fantastic, and I gave it a lot of thought. But at Matt Randall, hi Matt, asks us to hashtag talk about ordering meat or cheese from the grocery store counter rather than prepackaged. Worth it or not? So this is getting it sliced at the deli counter and given to you in the little plastic bag or getting like the Oscar Mayer prepackaged cheese or ham, turkey, bologna, whatever. Um, I'm going to let you hashtag talk about this first. It's absolutely worth it if what you want is lunch meat. I, I can't think of – and this is partially my trauma from a lot of boxed lunches in – middle school and high school, but I cannot think of anything worse than prepackaged Turkey from a national like brand right. uh, uh, or chicken or roast beef. I, I just think all that tastes disgusting. It's all I got, mean, the, it's all got that same. It all tastes the same. It's got that yeah. weird slime to it. Um, I will say one of the things, and I don't know if your grocery stores do this. I'm assuming they do, but uh, the Wegmans, we go, both Wegmans that we alternately go to, they have prepackaged stuff from their own deli. So they have like a counter in front of the, they have the deli where you can go order the, you know, all of your meats and cheeses as you need. But they also have prepackaged stuff that they've sliced that day. So you can walk by and pick up half pound of turkey breast that's pre-sliced from the deli. So it's not like Oscar Mayer from you know, right, right. Zimbabwe. It's cut on site. They just kind of prepackage it for convenience and you can grab that and go. And that's just boss. I mean, that's, that's, that's really the bet, the perfect situation because you're getting the deli quality meat without having, but in the prepackaged, so you don't have the, although I, I, I gotta say without having to wait at the counter, but I always like waiting at the counter. I, I, I like the whole ritual, the picking of the number, the waiting, the talking to the person, they come over and they show you how, how thin or thick slice you want, want the meat. It's really good. I, I, I always like that. Although I did have one time we were on vacation with our group of friends. We were at in Rehoboth beach this past summer and I go to make a grocery store run and like to get a get get a bunch of deli meat for lunches like turkey roast beef whatever and i and i get the get the uh, the the number at the deli and it was literally like a 90 minute wait at the deli for uh, at like a food lion in Rehoboth so this is not That's crazy. Like, it was insane so um we did not get deli meat that day um but and, and cheese i think <sighs> I don't know on cheese. Like I'm okay with the prepackaged. A lot of the prepackaged cheese. I'm not a. I'm my 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 taste in cheese runs very pedantic. So I'm not like I'm fine with American cheese or American cheese byproduct, whatever it is. But well, as someone who loves pancakes as much as you do, that doesn't shock me a bit. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but so but for deli meat, absolutely, absolutely. It, it's not even that much more costly to get the. Uh, to get the, uh, the the deli counter cuts than it is for the prepackaged stuff. I think with cheese, I've learned as I've gotten, I used to not like cheese, period. And since I've tried to go away from bread to some degree, I've, I've opened my mind to, to more cheeses. And I actually find that some of the deli sliced stuff is pretty good. I mean, like the, there's like particularly the pepper jacks, which I really, that's become my new jam with cheese is, is pepper jack or some some variation of, of jack cheese that I would rather have that than than some of the prepackaged. But I will say most of the prepackaged stuff tastes pretty good. You get like the Sargento yeah. or the Boar's Head or you know something that's not craft, right? 
or generic, you're doing pretty well. You're not going to get a tremendous leap in quality unless you want to go like way over the top. That's the thing. I mean, I, I mean, the, the the cheese is you get. I mean, you can go you can go big, but that's gonna that's gonna set you back a decent amount of coin. Um, right. and, and yeah, and, and and to me, not you know, if you're a cheese per- connoisseur, and God bless you if you are, you can definitely tell a difference. If you're not, I think you're fine with a Sargento or like a nice pro, a nice deli provolone or something like that. That's kind of my my go-to cheese when I'm not being a heathen and eating American cheese. Um, Fair. So, all right. So you actually you crossed the fourth wall and uh, and uh, submitted a question to our own podcast, but I love this. So I'm gonna let you read this one. um uh, i will i will read this question i have to call it up because i want to get the wording right um so my question uh for the podcast was what's the most depressing meat to eat i've got i've got two actually have two answers to this so i think that if you're looking at it from a a feeling depressed about what animal uh, is supplied your meal i think veal is the is the obvious play here um because it's a baby cow now I, 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 I we uh, my wife and I learned several years ago from a, a culinary student friend of ours why you can feel okay eating veal because it generally comes from male dairy cows so they're not used in breeding they can't provide milk so this is their usefulness um, but I think if you're gonna go the rest but it, but if we're getting away from that and just like depressing meal dish to eat meat dish to eat I'm gonna go Salisbury steak. It just, it, it, it feels, you know, it's basically like a hamburger steak pressed together. It feels like a depression era. You don't, ha- you have like a nickel to your, to your dot, into your name. And that's what you're able to get is a Salisbury steak and, and gravy. And like, it's usually with rice and it's not like the high quality rice. Like it's very much like bad sticky rice or instant mashed potatoes. And I don't know, I feel like. You know, or you're getting like the encore or something like that, and the the frozen, and I don't know. It just like if you're having a Salisbury steak dinner, generally speaking, you're not living your best life. I don't feel like that's an interesting point. So you've actually you've done what I like on our podcast is you've you've taken a uh, you know a a question that had one idea. And you've turned it into a question with two faces, and I, I really admire that. Um, so, on the first, the, what I originally meant to ask was, what's the most depressing meat to eat based upon your thoughts about the animal that you're about to consume? Sure. So you said veal. I would actually argue that it's lamb. That's the other pick, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I and I would argue. I mean, okay, I feel bad about eating baby cow, but as bad as I feel about eating baby cow lambs are cuter yes. and I feel worse about eating baby lamb than I do about eating baby cow no just simply because one looks better than the other. I know that's, that's <laughs> totally superficial. Uh, but you know, what prompted the question was there was the, there was apparently a controversy in Italy today because Silvio Berlusconi uh, bought five of the lambs that were being set for Easter slaughter and saved them. And so there's this picture of Berlusconi cuddling a lamb that he's purchased and saved. And it got the meat packers Aww. organization uh, up in arms because he had, as opposed to, you know, supporting the slaughter of these animals was now like preferring that they would be, they'd be saved. Aww. So that's a, it's a really cute picture. Yeah. You see, you see it now. Yeah. yeah. It's adorable. <laughs> That's, that's definitely going in the show notes. That is, yeah, uh, no question. Um, 
Now, as far as your question about what's the most depressing meat to eat from the standpoint of, I can't believe I'm actually consuming this food. My wife just submitted, I think, the answer to end all answers, which is pickle loaf. I've never, I don't know what pickle loaf is, and I'm scared to Google it. Yeah, you I'm should going, Google pickle loaf. I don't even, I, I don't even want to describe pickle loaf. Oh dear God! Oh, okay, yes. I've, oh God, that's pimento loaf. Okay, I okay, I yeah. Oh God, no. Yeah, that's a, this is not good. Uh, you oh, know, and, I the mean, first, and the first image that comes up is a package of Carolina Pride ninety nine cent pickle loaf. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I will say there's one other entry. There was two other entries that I would consider. One of them is tilapia. Really? Which which I watched an episode uh, of I I forget which show it was, but it was on the Food Network, and they pointed out that tilapia, uh, while it tastes fine and it's an inexpensive fish, it is the fi- it is the fish that they put in the pond to eat all the feces of the fish that were in the pond before it. You've mentioned this before. Now it's coming back to me. Yeah. Yeah, and and I I've never been able to eat consciously like choose to eat tilapia again. And I realize that's silly. I mean, because the end of the day, nutrients are nutrients. But that's just that's a hard thing to get out of one's head. No, but you, you don't unsee that. But the, the actually the, the the most depressing meat, other than those things that I could think, when I was in college, we had a local discount grocery store called Save a Lot, and I refused to go in there because it was all like generic discount brand stuff. And, you know, I had a roommate who is uh, he actually was the guy that made the follow up comment on the. Uh, how many times will Dr. GC say it's interesting because he's the guy that made the follow-up of always take the over. Okay. Uh, and he's, he should know he's lived with me a bunch of times. Okay. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, he, he used to be in love with the save a lot because he would buy all this food that was like tremendously cheap. And I was like, what, like, why is that a turn on to you? I never fully got an answer from him on that, but, um, he bought at one point, he bought canned pork. Oh. And it was it was just like it was like this this generically labeled thing that just said canned pork. It was I, I don't I've never opened it. I never looked in it. I don't think anybody opened it. It just sat on the shelf in the apartment for like two years, and I just the the very concept of it grossed me out consistently. And I would I have always thought if I was ever at the lowest ebb of my humanity, I would probably have opened that canned pork and eaten it, and it would have been the most depressing thing ever. Yeah, yeah, that wins. Easily. Um, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that's not good. So, all right, moving on. We got some uh, Facebook question uh, topics too. Two from a friend of the show and non-listener, Jared Paventi. The first one co- quotes a Deadspin article about Mark Jackson. He wants to know how Mark Jackson continues to be employed as a basketball coach. And uh, the article is, the headline on, on Deadspin is, Mark Jackson's church tried to heal Steph Curry's ankle with oil. Um, and this is, it's a story about, well, the headline tells the story. Um, and so Mark Jackson being a head coach with, uh, Mark Jackson, head coach, faith healer. I mean, you know, I've heard of worse, we've had worse combinations with the Bills, so I'll take them, really, to be (laughs) honest. I'm going to say this about this article. I got to be honest, I've stopped reading Deadspin. Really? I've com- I've com- like I I think I've read one Deadspin article in the last month. Uh, they, to me, they've gone like the Trump 
presidency has sent them completely off the deep end. Uh, there, I don't find there, and I guess you know, and I don't look. I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm I I I'm certainly not unaligned with some of the political stances that the Deadspin writers have. But everything is just it is it is so incredibly slanted to whatever the political or cultural views of the individual writers are at Deadspin mm-hmm. that it loses a lot of credibility with me as a reader. And, you know, I, I mean, is that, is this anecdote in this, in this true? I mean, perhaps, but, um, you know, it, it, it's a, it's, it's an interesting, it's interesting to me to, to read that and then, kind of sum it up with all of the other things that they've written. And look, I'm not a big fan of Mark Jackson. I wasn't a fan of Mark Jackson's coaching. I think there's certainly elements of his religiosity that has created some question marks as far as how he's interacted with people. But uh, I think a lot of times Deadspin and and other media outlets of of that political persuasion have tended to uh, take things that are, are – quirky shall we say and turn them into like just grievous cultural uh affronts to society and i think that that takes things several steps too far in many cases interesting i mean i'm still a loyal deadspin reader um i don't know i it it would be interesting to think about hey be interesting it's interesting there you go there you go take a drink i'm rubbing off on you buddy (laughs) um to look at how at uh, kind of their 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 overall voice and overall perspective and like compare the site before and after the, 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 the Gawker transition thing happened. And I wonder if there's any difference, if there's less oversight with it now. So like the writers have a little bit more freedom to do their, to do their own. Um, you know, that's been to me is always one of those sites that rises and falls on the individual writer. Um, and you know, you get somebody like Diana Moskovitz. Wonderful. Her work has been outstanding. I like Barry Pacheski a lot. I think he's a really good thinker. I think he's a really good writer. Um, some of the other writers who I know are popular, not necessarily my cup of tea. And that's kind of as much personal preference as, as anything else. Um, but you know, and that's been goes in waves. Like there's, there were times in the past when I really hated it. And then at times where it kind of came back and and I kind of liking and I kind of liked it. So, you know, who knows? And, And with a site like that, maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's just kind of like the way I mean, it's on that certain wave right now. So, I mean, look, I mean, and it's, it's different for everybody. All I know is, you know, I used to, there would be three or four websites I would check every single day and would read regularly, would access regularly. And they've been so over the top in their, in, in, I mean, everything has been so either anti-Trump focused or has been so, so locked into this particular cultural approach that I've, I've actually, I'm not following them on Facebook anymore. I'm not following them on, on Twitter. Uh, and it's, it's not even like I completely disagree with the things that they're saying. There's some things that there's, I agree with, but their method, their tone, their overall approach, and, and even the writing like that piece that Jared posted, I just, it, it does nothing for me as a consumer. And, you know, there's many other things I would rather read or consume than, than what Deadspin has turned into over the last really nine months or so. It does seem a lot of over the topness. Like uh, everything is a thing, like not just everything is a thing, but everything is a huge thing. And that can be exhausting. I feel like yeah. sometimes. So Jared's other post, and this is really good. So best political scandal takeaway. So we have a list. 
South Carolina Governor Sanford hiking, quote, hiking the Appalachian Trail. Ron Blagojevich's hair. Bless our hearts and other parts, which is a reference to the uh, to the current scandal in, in Alabama where the governor resigned today. Um, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. First of all, shout out to Bill Clinton for getting uh, full, a full 40% of the of these scandal takeaways. I mean, that's a career's work right there. That's impressive. It really is. I mean, we got to take your hat off to that. Um, I've always liked the Governor Sanford hiking the Appalachian Trail because that's the euphemism of all time. I mean, that's just <laughs> wonderful. And uh, my friend Matt was working at the at the state in South Carolina, the newspaper there that broke the story, and he just he tells great stories about that about the day they were they were they were tracking that down and everything happening. And I and I really do love that. Um, but this Alabama scandal, the bless our I, I had to Google bless our hearts and other parts to figure out where it came from because I wasn't I was busy today and didn't I had to catch up on the news. And the texting between an aide was it. The governor's aide and the woman he was having an affair with, and fantastic. I mean, that's pretty good. Bless our hearts and other parts. That's that's going to live on in yearbook quotes for a while. Yeah, I mean, it. I, I t- for me, it'll always be what the definition of the word is is. Yeah, you know, because it 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 always harkens back to me to the question that got asked of Clinton in the primary in '92. Yep, whether whether. You know what I'm talking about. I know where you're going with this, yeah. You know, where he got asked if he'd ever smoked pot. Mm-hmm. And and he, he said that he'd tried marijuana, but he didn't inhale it and he didn't like it. Which, I mean, it's the sort of parsing that the guy, he, you know, he always seemed to think he was clever enough to get away with stuff like that. And I think to a certain degree he was clever enough to get away with stuff like that. But it was just, if you had a brain and you were willing to think for more than the length of the sound bite, it was just like I didn't make any goddamn sense. No, and and uh, that particular parsing, uh, and I look. I mean, I've read the transcript. I understand the context that it was in, and you know, I realize taking things out of context could be a little bit dangerous. But just just even in the context, it just represented everything that the guy's brain was about, right. which was like finding finding the gray area that allowed you to internally mentally or emotionally justify the activity that you were about to engage in. One, one thing, I, especially in hindsight, I, 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 I do love about Bill Clinton, especially with the I didn't inhale and didn't enjoy it. Maybe less so with the, 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 the meaning of the word is, is because that was like, that was within a, a tape deposition. And yeah, within context, it's, it makes, it makes a little bit more sense. Like it's still the smarmy loophole move, but it, it, it it, it, it makes more sense than just taking it on its own. But the I didn't inhale, I didn't enjoy it. What's great about that is he knows that's a bullshit. He knows that's bullshit. You know that's bullshit. Everyone knows it's bullshit. He's kind of playing the game, but he but he's playing it in the. I, I'm gonna say this and see if I can get away with it a little bit. Like that. Like yeah. The, yeah like like and he wasn't serious. I don't think he was. I don't think he was. Well, wasn't it? Was, wasn't it asked on like MTV? Yeah, it was like the first ever Rock the Vote. Uh, like because they also Hall. that was the boxers briefs uh, question, wasn't right. it? Yes, it was. I don't know if it was the same question. It was the same debate. Well, I mean, it was the same. It was the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, right. The same Q and A session. Right, but I, but you know, I, I just love that nobody for a minute believed it, and I don't think he thought anybody would believe it. But it was, it was. I don't know. You know, and looking back on that, that's almost delightful to kind of look back and, you know, think, you know, especially, you know, 
you know, it, you know, it's the it's the nostalgia talking. But when you look at kind of what politics has become, and not just Trump, but kind of all politics has become, like to look back at that at something like that, and like a that was almost a scandal, if I remember correctly, but also just like the. I don't know, almost innocent bullshittiness of it was lovely. Well, it's lovely yeah. to think back on. Well, look, I mean, it was funny to me how much, like, people of my parents' age or my wife's parents' age, I mean, they're more or less the same age, how much they were just, they, they just hated Bill Clinton. They hated what he stood for. They, 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 they like, he really brought out a lot of negativity in a lot of people. Not everybody. I mean, certainly there were a lot of people of that age that really loved him. But, um, you know, you, you have to tip your cap to Clinton for how he was able to completely change the idea of what we were willing to accept and expect out of a political candidate. And it was probably going to happen anyway because there was a big generational change of the guard that was happening during that time period. But – the fact that it was him and, you know, following Bill Clinton, you know, for the last 25 years or so and, and seeing like what he's all about and how his brain and how like his 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 actions have followed over the course of time. Uh, it, it really is fascinating. It's hard to imagine anybody else in that spot, uh, you know, and, and you think about the amount of impact that he had. Like, could you imagine Al Gore having won the 92 uh, election and, and being kind of the standard bearer for the baby boomers coming forward. I mean, that would have been really weird. Yeah, totally. Totally. All right. So we have two more questions. Uh, okay. Two more questions. And then Jason Kennedy posted arson forever. Is this a soccer thing? It uh, is a soccer thing. Okay. Uh, and I, and it, it deserves special mention. Go for it. The Arsenal football club who are the blood rivals of the club that I follow Tottenham Hotspur. they, uh, Arsenal lost today to Crystal Palace. I believe it was the first victory for Crystal Palace uh, over Arsenal since like 2004 or something like that. Maybe it, was, maybe it hasn't been that long, but let's just say that it was. A 3-0 victory for Crystal Palace, and it was great on a number of levels, uh, not the least of which is that it, it puts Arsenal in, in real trouble uh, to to get into the top four, which allows you to get into European competition. Um, there's also this annoying thing that Arsenal fans have taken to celebrating every year. Uh, so Arsenal and Tottenham are kind of they're, it's they're 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 in the same section of London, and it's a really close rivalry in terms of like the people all like live amongst each other, but. Arsenal has by far been the more successful of the two clubs over the course of the last 40 or 50 years. Uh, you know, and so Arsenal has this thing that they celebrate every year that they call St. Totteringham's day, which is the day that Arsenal clinch a league spot or a league finish ahead of where Tottenham is going to finish. And this year that looks highly unlikely because with seven games to play, Tottenham has a 14 point lead on Arsenal. So uh, this this loss was was great for, for a number of things, but there's this big controversy with Arsenal about whether Arsene Wenger, who's their manager, should be fired. He's been their manager since, I think, like 1999. He had a lot of success in the early 2000s, won some league titles, but hasn't had the same success of Manchester United or Chelsea or Liverpool on the on the continental level. 
So there's been this running joke about whether arsonist you know should be gone or whether he should stay. Anyway, that's that's the context of that. Soccer talk with Galen, our Woo! most popular segment. Maybe I'll start watching soccer during the uh, the the season four, season five gap. The storylines are awesome. Well, this is a great time to do it. If you're going to watch soccer, now's the time to do it because it's the you got the last seven or eight games of the Premier League season between now and the first or second week of May. You've got the FA Cup final, which is like the if 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 English soccer had an NCAA tournament, that would be it. Okay. Uh, and then you've got the Champions League, which is the best teams in in the whole continent of Europe playing each other and the champions league final is like the last weekend of may all right all so right. this is like if you're going to watch soccer if you're going to watch the like the, the quote-unquote the best of soccer this is a great time to get started with it done all right so two more questions first from uh friend of the program ryan Voris. uh we will soon be at the state at the life stage when hollywood seeks to profit off of n- n- the nostalgia from our youth they're already at that stage for me, but I'm old. What nineties yeah. what nineties TV show is most likely to be made into a terrible feature film over the next ten years? And uh, Mike Petrie, 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 uh, Petrie, he he responded with Saved by the Bell. So which nineties TV show is most likely to be made into a terrible feature film in the next decade? Well, um, okay. First of all, I realize it aired in the nineties. I've always thought of Saved by the Bell as a late 80s that's TV show. That's definitely a late 80s. Yeah, that's, that's uh, I mean, it, it did air 89 to 92. So technically, Mike is correct that it is a 90s. I actually don't think Saved by the Bell is a great candidate for a, t- for a movie um, because I think that what made Saved by the Bell work like would seem unattractive to some degree to the movie-making industry right now. Right. Uh, so I have two candidates that I would throw out that are, are that are due for a remake. Okay. One of them would be the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Ooh, good call. Uh, particularly if somehow Will Smith's son starred in the the role of the Fresh Prince. Right. Like I could see, and 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 if Will Smith somehow like in some terrible, horrifically bad, poorly informed. Uh, approach to casting if somehow will smith was in the the uh the role of of uncle phil hmm. like but that's the terrible decision making process that i could absolutely no. see a hollywood studio y- y- you making. know what the move is going to be that'll be netflix with will smith's son as the fresh prince of bel-air and he goes to live with his uncle carlton yeah well there you okay that, that, is that dude still alive dude he's like he's on dancing with the stars like literally every other season oh so not really <laughs> no no he, god yeah you're right Jeez. oh man he's yeah. wait he's the host of america's funniest home videos yes he is wow yeah. that's a wow this is this you want to you want a picture of a career that never took off Alfonso uh, ladies and gentlemen I mean, my God, like this is, this is impressively nondescript, <laughs> man. man uh, so and, anyway, and, and that's our motto. That's the thing. <laughs> impressively nondescript. Get off our corner, Ribeiro. <laughs> uh, the, the other, the other nineties. And again, this is nostalgia TV that would be turned into a movie. The, the other one that I would suggest is best suited. I know some people would argue twin peaks, I would actually say Twin Peaks is is too obscure mm-hmm. to to really count in this equation. Um, no, uh, I, I think the other 
the other one that I think is is ripe for some kind of remake uh, as a, as a movie, and I think it would be terrible, would be Northern Exposure. Ooh, good call. Uh, because it was it was just obscure enough that people watched it, but it wasn't like overwhelmingly popular. Uh, it, it was set in a quirky area. It might be too white. That's the one thing I would worry about. Um, like there, it'd be hard to like force diversify that that particular show. Sure. But I'm looking at other like. I'm looking at other shows from the nineties and I'm having a hard time finding things that, that would, that would leap off the page and say, this is going to be made into a movie. I mean, well, okay. A, I, I, maybe I, a live action version of Daria. That's about the only oh, other one I can think of. That could be good. I, I, I was actually thinking the one I would go and this would, this would, this might be the thing that literally broke the internet. But the one thing that jumped out at me as I was looking at thinking about it would be a Buffy, the vampire slayer reboot movie. It would be interesting, but yeah. Buffy the Vampire Slayer was based on a movie. It was. It, it went movie and then TV show, but then I could see, I, I could, I, I, as I was thinking, I could see a misguided attempt at rebooting that as a movie, and holy balls, that would not go over well. Um, and, and again, that's more of a, that's a late 90s, early 2000s, so again, you're kind of doing a decade straddle thing, but I think that that would be my call on it. Um, yeah, it's interesting, like, there was, what's missing from movies, particularly movies aimed at, like, teen audiences or 20-something audiences, that was present in spades in the in mid to late 90s movies, really the whole decade, was angst. There was so much fucking angst. <laughs> In, in everything, the television shows, the movies, everything. I mean, oh, just, just go oh, down. Oh, we could do a My So Called Life reboot. Well, that, we're that teenage angst. It's kind of where I was going with that, or or Dawson's Creek. Oh yeah. Like, like you know, but but I don't know if will angst sell to millennials. I mean, look, if there's a if there's an angstier generation than Gen X, I don't think. No, we, we no, we cornered that we, shit. Yeah, well, I mean, you cornered that shit. Yeah, I did. I I never felt at home with all of that angst, frankly. I mean, but but that was like that was the cornerstone of of Gen X culture was this 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 constant angst about everything. And I don't think I mean Ryan makes a, a you know it's a good question about what gets re- revived, and it's it's kind of why I went with the choices that I made there because I don't think you can bring back angst in any way, shape, or form that would be effective with this generation. Like, I just think it would, I don't think it would settle well with older people because older people are, I mean, they're going to go and, and like what made, what makes like the eighties remakes that they're making effective? Like 21 jump street has just become like this lame comedy thing because that's what millennials want to watch. Right. How the hell do you make Buffy or, my so-called life into into a comedy like it, I don't think that even the intellectual property would be worth doing that. With. Well, I mean, I mean, I watched Buffy back back when it was on, and it's a really funny show. Like for all the kind of teenage angsty stuff, it kind of poked fun at a lot of it. It was later in the '90s and, and early 2000s, so it kind of came after the Dawson's Creek and like that my so-called life era. Um, so it was really really funny. Um, but I do think you know it, it is it is interesting to think when you look at politics and you look at trump is there going to be a return of angst is angst going to be is angst the new black is that coming back now i don't know but yeah i don't know like it's always weird when you try to sell like a reboot of something um and i know like financially incentively why they do it but like you know we have home video now. We don't need a reboot of Ghostbusters. We've got, un- we, we've got United Airlines. We've now. got United. Oh my god! 
<laughs> What's great about United Airlines, aside from nothing, is that their their CEO is being honored as Communicator of the Year by PR Weekly tonight. <laughs> um, and he's still accepting, and they're still giving it to him. You'd think they'd say, hey, if you're a PR group, maybe you think, well, you know, let's let's take a break from this. Let's let's delay this. So we have one more, and so our last uh, our last listener question is from your lovely wife Katie. <laughs> why do why do people store things in their ovens? Uh, this seems like a tremendously bad idea, and yet so many people do it anyway. Now. Uh, for the record, I, I will say I'm pretty sure she does not mean like baking pans. Like you keep your baking pan in the oven, then take it out to cook or like a cast iron skillet, like books or shit. Like right. That. And uh, Rob Rexon comments, I did this w- once and accidentally melted the item that was stored inside the oven. The molten plastic also caught on fire briefly. Um, I find this really funny because we don't store anything aside from baking ware in our ovens. We're not animals. But our microwave is basically a fourth cabinet for us. We don't have a lot of cabinet space in our kitchen. See, Lauren, this is why watching HGTV matters. You learn about cabinet space. We don't have enough cabinet space, so you'll open up our microwave and you'll see two cereal boxes, bread, English muffins, and like a a bag of granola. So wow. reheating coffee in the morning gets really a pain in the ass. But no, I end up, but 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 the microwave is different because the microwave you you don't preheat. It doesn't get warm or stay warm. So you know you, you you finish heating something, you can put it back in. You're not gonna you don't have that residual heat in as, as a, that you do have in an oven. I don't get the oven thing at all. I've I don't think I've ever stored anything in my oven or in my microwave. I I don't understand. Fully the psychology behind it. Like, I mean, if you don't have cabinet space, like get rid of something. Um, but I just like, I'm, I have a hard time even, even conceiving of why it would seem to be a good idea to put stuff in your oven. I can see putting stuff under your oven. I do that all the time. Sure. Like there's that, that little pullout thing down right. there. That's, that, that thing's, that's a warming tray, but nobody ever uses it a warming tray. It's a storage thing. Right. Um, but no, as far as like storing stuff in the, and I know people do it. Um, I, I mean, I, I just don't under, I don't get why. Like, I, do people not? I, I guess part of it is I use my oven all the time for cooking. Uh, I really, really do. And uh, you know, to me, the idea that you wouldn't be using it all the time for cooking maybe ends up being. Uh, the reason why you're storing stuff in there, but that's the only thing I can really think of. Right. Like if you're, you know, a single dude, 23 years old and, you know, you don't cook, you know, except for like heating up stuff in the microwave, you know, the oven is just sitting there most days. So, um, but that's still like, that's a dangerous place to, 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 to store stuff. Like I don't have a really good justification for storing our stuff in the microwave other than we don't have any cabinet space and my wife is short. So it takes away the top cabinet, the the tops of the cat, the top drawer uh, levels of the cabinet from day to day stuff, and so it's either that or we store stuff like out on the counter, and that just looks terrible. So you know, we're we're kind of got the rock hard place, and then the middle is the microwave with all of my bread products in it. But um, but yeah, the you know again. The oven just that's that 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 that's just begging to like say like people I've I've known have stored stored books in ovens. Um, yeah, like books. Yes, I have heard of people putting books in ovens before. Why would you put a book in an oven for under any circumstances? I'm, I I I I don't know. I'm not that person. I um, can't. I can't even like that's that's <laughs> like no. Like I I mean that. that 
I don't know why. Why are why must people be like this? I I I don't know. That's why this podcast exists so we can help them. To know I feel like I feel like one. this podcast makes me just just makes me want to feel bad about things all the time. We must feel bad. See the picture of pickle loaf that I sent you in the thing. Um, yeah, I, I I looked at the picture of the pickle loaf that you sent me. That made me feel a lot of things. Bad was definitely one of them. Right. Um. So so again, let let let's finish off our season on a strong note, ladies, gentlemen, podcast listeners. Do not store stuff in your oven. Life, Please. Well, that's a life hack. That's a free one from us at the flip side, and I think you can take that and uh, and build on it over the next few weeks while we're uh, we're finishing up our semesters and gearing up for the big summer push. Yes. I I also want to tell everybody out there, it's the 10th of April, and we are right in the middle of what I have consistently said is the greatest two-month stretch of sports that exists in America. You have, from the beginning of, of, of March, you've had the conference tournaments in basketball, the NCAA tournament in basketball, the NCAA title game. Opening day for baseball, the Masters, tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this, the start of the NHL playoffs, next week, the start of the NBA playoffs, and at the beginning of May, the Kentucky Derby. I would I would challenge anybody to come up with a two-month stretch of sports that matches that two-month stretch of sports. The only thing I can think of is, yeah, and you know, maybe September to November, but that's not a lot of high stakes in football. Like it's just a lot of that is carried by football being back, but it's, excuse me, it's early season football. Right. And so you have, that's kind of a quantity aspect, but in terms of quality right now, I think you're, I, I think you're right on that one. So, and I was also like to give a shout out. You noted this on Facebook to well, to well too. I don't know if she went to Indiana or just is from Indiana. I know she's, I think she's from Indiana or went to IU, but, uh, the Emily Schultes, I'm probably botching that name, but she is the, uh, the, she plays uh, Alphaba in the National Touring Company of Wicked. We saw this past weekend in Rochester. She took time at the stage door to sign a program for my daughter and post for a picture. So did the Glinda, uh, the, the young woman who plays Glinda. They were both magnificent. Um, but she's she had an IU cap on, and I made a point to point out to Ellie as we were waiting for her to get to her. I'm like, you see her cap? The guy I do that he does the podcast with, she he works at that school, and Ellie didn't give a crap. She was just really, ah! because Alphaba was right there, and that's really all she cared about. Um, that's so, um, so yeah, so we will be back. I don't know in a few weeks probably after we uh, we clear our semesters and get full on in the summer. But enjoy the spring. The weather is finally. I think it's getting nice out there. I know it's getting nice out here. Our last of the snow is finally melted, so we're full on and in, in improving weather mode. So that's good. Um, I'm excited about the weather. I'm excited about the next couple of months. I will miss you, uh, but I'm sure we'll stay in touch. And, you know, hopefully we come back invigorated and with better writers. <laughs> well, you know, what, what, well, Cousin Oliver's going to make his debut about midway through the, fir- the, the first episode. And we're going to see how he, res- how he responds. And if we have to poochie him, well, well, we'll, we'll take care of that as well. So who is, who is Cousin Oliver? Who, is, who, oh, you don't know that reference? No, no, no. Who is our Cousin oh, Oliver? Who is, oh, oh, good question. That We can have open tryouts for cousin, be the Cousin Oliver of the flip side. Um, ooh, I like good. that idea. That this... might be the twist that we need to keep this thing fresh. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, 
Well, thank you all for listening, and, and Brian, thank you as always for uh, everything uh, throughout the the course of, of time here. We will be back at some point. Be sure to keep it tuned to Dr. GC and BP Moritz on Twitter, and uh, stay safe out there, everybody. Uh, for Brian, I'm Galen. We'll catch you folks on the flip side. So long, everybody. <laughs>